Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers podcast. I am your host, Emma, and I'm joined with your other host, Amy. And this is going to be our last episode of the season. Um, it is our last true crime episode of the season. We brought you our last paranormal one last week. And this is a doozy, so. Yeah. This is a big one. Big, big. Um, we don't have a signature drink. We're just drinking whatever. I have a sour beer and... I have a pink mascara. You got your wine. It's a BYOB episode. <laughs> Tried to convince her to drink another white Russian, but she wouldn't do it. It sounded good, but I've had a lot of milk today. So. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good idea. Anything you want to talk about before we just dive into this one? Um, I don't think so, other than since this is our last episode of the season, if you have any suggestions for next season, please send them to us. Email, messenger, DM, whatever you can do. If you want to hear a story, if you have your own personal story, whatever you've got going on, we would love to hear it. And that's it for me. I'm right in time for my yawn to end. <laughs> Alright, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, today is my season finale. I'm going to be discussing a case that is incredibly close to home for us. Um, actually, kind of in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has some very recent developments. So some of you, if you're not familiar with it as it happened, because it happened a while ago, um, you might have heard some recent things that have been going on with it. And it gave me even more of a reason to want to talk about it because... A lot of people in our area have been talking about it. Um, it's been on the local news, like, all the time. I'm pretty sure it made national news when the case first broke. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Um, but, yeah, people are kind of talking about it more now because things are happening. And I this is going to be about the Paula Sims case and the subsequent trial that followed. And I want to provide a bit of a trigger warning. I know we had to provide one last time too, so we've been talking about some heavy things here. But if talks of mental illness or harm to children bother you, this may not be the best episode you for episode for you to join us on. Um, this case is horrific and heartbreaking, no matter what side you stand on it, because it is very divisive and some of the details are incredibly disturbing. Very much so. And I tried not to go into great detail. I mean, there's not a lot of detail given, but there will be talks of um, horrible things that happen to very little babies. So, I'm just going to get right into it here. Paula Marie Sims of Madison County, Illinois, was born on May 21st, 1959. And I tried to... It's kind of weird. There's not even like a Wikipedia page about her. Really? Yeah, I looked her up. I looked up Paula Sims. I looked up Paula Sims' trial case. Um, there's not even like a Wikipedia page with her background or anything, which is usually what we get when we look up anything like yeah. this. Because people have done like extensive research into their childhood and stuff like that. I don't think anyone's done that with her, which is a actually, little weird. I actually know people that knew her. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. I mean, like I we, said, it very is very close, close to home. Yeah. yeah. And people probably, I mean, if you're listening and you're from this area, you might know their son because he still lives in this area. That'd be hard. Yeah. Um, but I tried to get as much as I could about her. The only thing I could get is where she lived and when she was born. Um, but we do know that she went on to marry her then husband, Robert Sims, and she gave birth to three children. Only one of these children would survive, a son born in early 1988, while their two infant daughters would tragically disappear. In June of 1986, Paula claimed that a masked gunman entered her home while she was watching television. I think she said she was watching the late night news. And that this person made her lie on the floor and kidnapped her 13-day-old daughter, Lorelai Marie. At the time, Paula was alone in the house watching TV in her basement while Lorelai slept nearby in her bassinet and her husband, Robert, was at work. The police arrived after receiving a phone call reporting a child abduction, and upon arriving, Paula told them that at about 10.20 p.m., a masked gunman appeared on the basement stairs. She described him as wearing a dark ski mask, a dark t-shirt, and dark pants. The screen door that Paula indicated the gunman had entered the home from was locked and squeaked loudly when opened and closed. And Paula said the family dog didn't bark or alert her to an intruder at all. That sounds pretty sus. Yeah. The one thing investigators did find was a small slice in the screen. It's weird. Yeah. And I think the reason that they mention that the door squeaked loudly is you would think that... She would have heard it. You would hear it. Like this was a not very well oiled door. Sims claimed that when the gunman left, she heard the door squeak. So she heard that, but only when he left, not when he came in. And she jumped up to run after him. Once outside, she she saw what she called a shadowy figure running down the driveway southbound. And she heard what she thought was someone running on gravel. According to her, she yelled and chased after this mystery gunman. Although the neighbors who lived at the end of the Sims driveway did not hear her. And it was a hot summer evening and their windows were open. Okay, so she's there's already holes in her story. Yes. She's already saying that she heard the door squeak and that's when she jumped up. But she said there was a gunman at the top of her stairs. So already there's like... Right. I would be calling bullshit there's if I a, were a, a prosecutor. Yeah. doesn't make much sense at all. No. And also, I don't know, if, I think the gunman was at the bottom Either way, somewhere made, on the basement stairs, she makes it sound like she didn't realize there was a problem until she heard the door. Open. And also, yeah, the way that I took this too is that uh, baby Lorelai was not in the same area of the house as her, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something that you'll kind of notice is a trend pattern with her. Is when these things happen, the babies are in completely different areas of the house. If I had a thirteen day old thirteen baby, day yeah. old baby, I would not be leaving her upstairs while I was downstairs. It's very odd. Yeah, that's super odd. Um, Now, something that has been very vital to this case and trial is something that her neighbor had said. When this alleged abduction occurred, Paula ran next door and began to bang on the door, screaming, let me in, please let me in. The neighbor, a woman named Minnie Gray, didn't recognize the voice, and whilst looking through her peephole, she asked, who is it? It's Paula, the person on the other side of the door replied. Paula was hyperventilating, and between breaths, she told Minnie, they stole my baby. Who? asked Minnie, who was also starting to become frantic herself, as anyone would. Right. And that is when Paula began to explain the story of the masked intruder. Minnie's husband called the Jersey County Sheriff's Department to report the abduction, while Paula rushed home to find her husband's work phone number. Minnie accompanied her back home, and Paula pointed out where Lorelai had been sleeping before her kidnapping and the door the intruder used to gain entry. 
Minnie felt unsettled by Paula's story. Things just didn't feel right to her. And she noticed that the baby's blanket in the bassinet was neatly folded back. Which wouldn't be the case if there was a child in there sleeping and someone rushed in and grabbed it. Right. And I don't think that your first instinct, if her baby was taken, would be to fold her blanket back. No. When Robert arrived home, Minnie watched her run up to him say, run up to him and say, Rob, I'm so sorry I disappointed her. You were disappointed when Lorelai was a girl, and I disappointed you when I didn't stop the man from taking her. The detectives who were already on the scene heard all of this, and it said that Robert could tell that they were listening, mm-hmm. and that he leaned over to Paula and kind of like whispered something that no one heard in her ear, and that's when she kind of calmed down a little bit. And the words, you were disappointed when Lorelai was a girl, resounded in the detective's ears for years to come. Well, yeah, because that almost sounds like she... Yeah, you're just going to get there. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to jump the gun on this one. No. The cops immediately brought in three train tracking dogs who had an almost perfect record of success in locating strange scents. The dogs did not pick up any strange smells around the driveway or the road, and the next morning, police brought even more dogs to search, again without any success. Police requested that Paula go to the station with them to give a statement, to which she refused, stating that she didn't want to leave the house. According to a lieutenant from the state police, Paula said, No, no, I want to be here when they bring her body up. She then stuttered and said, That's not what I meant. I mean, my baby is alive and I want to be here when they bring her on the porch. Yeah, that's a big 40 and slip. Police were desperate to find the infant, as they should be. She's 13 days old. Where the hell could she be? But the Sims weren't much help at all. Rob spoke in a monotone, and Paula was virtually inconsolable. What little they could pull from Paula, they began to feel like something just was not right. A week after Lorelai's disappearance and the day she was found, Rob was standing nearby when one of the detectives pondered aloud whether the wooded area had been searched yet. Rob responded by saying the woods were covered in poison ivy, and he didn't recommend anyone search there for very long unless they wanted a miserable reaction. The detective found the comments to be odd and ordered dogs to be taken into the woods to search for her, and just a short distance in, the dogs began barking. Baby Lorelai had been found. On June 24th, 1986, just six days after the alleged abduction, Lorelai's nude body was found about 100 feet north of the back of the Sims' home, near the top of a ravine, in a heavily wooded area with dense underbrush. It appeared to police from evidence gathered at the scene of the crime in the home that someone had thrown the body of Lorelai off the top of the ravine after coming through the Sims' backyard. Jesus. Yeah. Police reenactments made certain that it would be impossible for the kidnapper to have run north to the back of the house, dispose of the body of Lorelai, and then return south past the house to be 75 feet down the gravel driveway, by the time Paula came up from the basement to chase after the, quote, shadowy figure she claimed to see. This is a quote from one of the the Illinois Court of Appeals that they wrote in 1993 after the trial, and they said, The argument espoused by the defendant that the abductor returned to her home sometime after June 17th while the police were investigating Lorelai's disappearance and in 100-degree weather climbed a steep ravine in woods thick with underbrush to place the child near the top of the ravine defied logic and reason. Yeah, because she started to say her response to that when they said, what you're saying here isn't really adding up. We don't know how this could have played out this way. She said, well, maybe they came back a couple days later and put her there. Yeah, sure. Return to the scene of the crime. Right. Dispose of a baby. Exactly. 
Following the autopsy, the medical examiner proclaimed that Lorelai had died of asphyxiation. Based on evidence, he theorized this was the result of a blanket or hands being pressed against her mouth and nose. Despite the inconsistencies in her story and the circumstantial evidence that indicated that she was lying, the investigation never resulted in charges against either Paula or Robert. It is worth noting that a decade before Lorelai was killed, Paula told a co-worker that she did not want children, quote, especially not a little girl. It's too much trouble. After Lorelai was born, Paula's hospital roommate heard her crying and apologizing while talking on the phone with her husband for having a baby girl. Robert Sims admitted that his wife had indeed apologized for having a girl, but Paula denied ever saying anything of the sort. I wonder why they were so against girls. After this, Robert and Paula quietly left Brighton and moved into a new home at 1053 Washington Avenue in Alton, Illinois. Neighbors at their new home were completely unaware as to what the Sims were fleeing from and their recent history with their daughter. Before the birth of their second child, a son they named Randall Troy Sims, Rob built a privacy fence around the property and Paula put up curtains and blinds that always stayed pulled tightly shut. Later on, neighbors would say that they hardly ever saw anyone outside the house, not even Paula and her baby boy. The Sims were living a private and reclusive life and they tried their best to stay out of the spotlight they had found themselves in a few years before. Until it happened again. Oh, this blows my mind. I think we should go on our first break here, and then we'll come back. All right, I'm going to take lots of drinks of wine. <laughs> we'll be right back. April 29th, 1989. Now, let me know if any of this sounds familiar. Okay. Might ring some bells. All right. Because <laughs> it's happening again. Rob called the police once again to report that Paula had been attacked and their daughter, Heather, was kidnapped in the process. When police arrived, she told them that she was at home alone with her 14-month-old 14, 14 son, Randall, and her six-week-old daughter, Heather. Robert was once again at work. Heather was in a bassinet downstairs, and Randall was asleep upstairs. Robert came home from work that night to allegedly find his wife lying unconscious on the kitchen floor. He said he flashed back to what had happened three years ago and ran to his daughter's bassinet to find it empty, which is, you find your wife unconscious on the floor and you immediately think that your daughter's been kidnapped again? And why not check on the boy? <sighs> Great question. He said he returned to his wife, trying to wake her, screaming, where is Heather? Paula, where is Heather? Paula finally came to and answered that the baby was in her bassinet. When he told her that their daughter was missing, they both ran upstairs to check on their son, whom they found sleeping soundly in his crib. Rob called for help, and police soon arrived. The responding officer wasn't familiar with the Sims and was taken aback when Rob said, They've taken my daughter. They took my other daughter. Aww. This is the story Paula gave the police. Around 10.30 p.m. that evening, Which is exactly almost the same time as the first. She was taking her trash out. When she reached the bottom of the porch stairs, she saw a person 10 feet away pointing a gun at her. This unidentified person ordered Paula back in the house, and as she stepped inside her kitchen door, she was hit on the back of the head and rendered unconscious. According to Paula and Robert, she did not regain consciousness until he awoke her 45 minutes later. Although they immediately began organizing a search for baby Heather, investigators thought that Paula's story had absolutely zero truth to it. You may be getting ready to cover this, but did she have a... We'll cover not, that. Okay. 
Nine months later, when she testified at her trial, she told everyone that the 1989 intruder was the same one who broke into her house in 1986. Just followed her from Brighton to Alton. She claimed that she knew that they were the same person because of his voice and also stated that he was definitely a white male. And what is weird about this claim is that the Sims lived in two completely different locations at the times of the abductions, had an unlisted telephone number on both occasions, and Robert worked swing shifts both times, so it would have been difficult for anyone outside of the plant to know when he was going to be at work. Yeah. Once again, police brought in tracking dogs who failed to pick up any strange scents as they did the time before. At the hospital, Paula didn't show any signs or symptoms of a person who had been knocked unconscious for 45 minutes. She had no bruises or marks on her head, and she was more coherent than to be expected after having gone through something like that. God, she... I, I'm taking back anything I've said in the last couple of weeks. Just... <laughs> Alton detectives began to put two and two together and realized that they were the couple whose other child had gone missing, only to be recovered dead a few years ago, a couple towns over, and started treating this as a ruse to cover up another baby's death. Paula was taken to the Alton Police Department in hopes of gaining as much information as possible about the kidnapping, and meanwhile, other officers searched the Sims' home for evidence as Rob followed them around and watched their every move. Detectives who questioned Paula were surprised by her demeanor. She was hysterical when this happened three years ago, but now she was very calm and laid back. She casually smoked a cigarette while answering the questions they fired at her with unhelpful and short answers. Outside, the news of Heather Sims began to take the media by storm, especially when they linked the Sims to Lorelai. The general consensus was that the Sims had murdered their second baby, and that unfortunately became more of a reality a few days later. On May 3rd, 1989, and I've seen also some people say May 9th, the day doesn't really matter, Heather's naked body was found in a plastic trash bag and a trash can at a Riverside Park area in Missouri. This park area was less than a six-minute drive from the Sims' home, so... Okay, no. It was less than a six-minute drive from the Sims's one of their parents' home. Okay. they lived in Alton. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess it no, could. Yeah, I, no, yeah. No, that's about get, right. <laughs> from where mind. From where they're located in... Uh, Don't get confused at yeah. the names of, like, the Illinois and Missouri because we are very close to both. Yeah. We are pretty much St. Louis yeah. suburb. You cross point. one bridge that takes you two minutes and you're in another state. Right. So that is right. Um, a fisherman found her in, like, the early morning hours... Uh, or late afternoon hours, and he was just, like, throwing some trash away. And I don't know if it was necessarily a trash can, because I've also heard that it was, like, a recycling thing, too. Mm -hmm. And he, like, noticed something and was, like, that's how right. immediately called the cops. Um, witness testimony at the trial revealed that the trash bag was not in the trash can at 10.30 a.m., but was present at 1 p.m. Dr. Mary Case, and this is the um, medical examiner who performed the autopsy on baby Heather, testified that it was her opinion that she had died by suffocation, most likely caused by placing a hand over her mouth, the same way the baby Lorelai had been killed. The doctor also determined that Heather's body had to have been frozen after she died, and that her death must have happened three or four days earlier, oh based upon the internal decomposition, the lack of external decomposition, the bright red colors on the forehead, cheek, and neck, and from the lack of rigor mortis. Forensic testing traced the trash bag she was found in back to a roll of trash bags found still at the Sims' home. The theory that Paula presented at the trial was that the alleged kidnapper took both Heather in a trash bag from her home and didn't touch or disturb anything else. Then, the intruder smothered Heather, removed her clothes, and put her into the trash bag obtained from the Sims' home, 
stored her body in a freezer, and dumped her into a trash can in Missouri four days later. Yeah, that sounds completely logical <laughs> unlikely. Right. Um, Paula's parents also happened to be out of town at the time of Heather's supposed abduction, and according to a relative, their freezer was nearly empty at this time. So she went if they needed there. a freezer, they could have had one. Fearing for the safety of Sims's only surviving child, Randy was removed from their home at this time. Thank God. Yeah. It's reported that this seemed to have a greater impact on them than the deaths of their daughters. The police confronted Rob. What? You got something to say? I'm just confused as to why when they suspected her after the first baby, they didn't take him or do some more extensive. He wasn't there at the first baby. Oh, that's right. one baby. She had him afterwards. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. A couple was, years later. Okay. And I guess you can't rec- retroactively punish somebody for something they've never for been charged for by taking been, their yeah, child. Right. All right, that makes sense. The police confronted Rob with the evidence and the fact that the trash bag she was found in was traced back to their home, and he broke down. He admitted that he believed Paula had killed their daughters. Due to the statements made by Rob at this time, the investigators took this as a chance to get more information from him and try to find a possible motive for these crimes. They asked him about life before Heather's birth. Rob admitted that he and Randy slept in a separate bedroom from Paula and Heather. But after her abduction, they had resumed sleeping together. This is when Rob, to the surprise and shock of the detectives, said that the day after Heather was kidnapped, Robert and Paula had a sexual encounter that was described as the, quote, best and longest lasting sex we ever had. That's fucked up. When asked about this at the trial, Robert Sims replied, let me tell you something, sex can be a stress reliever. Yeah, I don't like either one of these people. What the hell? I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> they couldn't gather enough evidence to arrest Robert, and Robert Sims was never charged in this case with any crime. But the prosecutor's theory was that the husband's dark moods and, quote, dislike of girls drove his wife to murder their two daughters, sparing their only son. That being said, they did have enough evidence to arrest Paula, and she was taken into custody on Sunday, July 2nd, 1989. The state announced very quickly afterwards that they intended to seek the death penalty in this case. As they should have. Only a monster could do something like that. No, we have differing opinions on death penalty things. but oh, That is true. We're not going to get political. No. <laughs> the trial in the People versus Paula Marie Sims began on Monday, January 8th, 1990. So we're almost a full year outside of this. And came to a close almost a month later on February 2nd when a jury found Paula guilty on two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of obstructing justice, and one count of concealing a homicide. Jurors believed that Paula had killed Lorelai and Heather simply because they were girls, a gender that disappointed their father, but they deadlocked during the sentencing phase. The judge made a compromise and sentenced Paula to consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole instead of death. After the trial in August of 1990, Robert filed for divorce. As part of their agreement, Rob was mandated to bring their son Randy to visit her once a month in prison. It's reported that during one of these visits, Randy asked his mother why she killed her sisters. And Paula, his sisters, sorry. And Paula accused Rob of making him ask that question. Well, yeah, because he would have been too little to know any of those details on his own. Well, I mean, at the time that this happened, he was almost two. So you're thinking, like, when she's going to jail, he's almost four. A four-year-old wouldn't have those thoughts on their own. Someone had to put it in his head. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Because this is, like, all he's known. And to this day, um, Randy has stood by his dad's side completely. Yeah. Um, But a little more than two years after her conviction, Paula admitted to killing her daughters and claimed that she was just trying to please her husband, who had been upset that they were daughters instead of sons. 
By August 1994, however, Paula claimed in a conviction relief petition that she had suffered from severe postpartum psychosis and didn't understand that her actions were wrong. Her petition at this time was denied. In an attempt to back up this claim, Paula also admitted to almost killing Randy one night. According to her, and this is a direct quote from her, he was crying and I had tried everything I knew to comfort him, but nothing was working. Before I knew it, I snapped and laid him down in the playpen and yelled at him to be quiet, and then I threatened him. He quit crying immediately, his eyes got big, and he just stared at me. I quickly picked him up, held him closer to me, and told him I was so sorry. I didn't mean it. I believe it was this sudden adrenaline rush and Randy's reaction, along with actually hearing myself threaten him, that brought me out of postpartum depression, depression psychosis. I don't think that's how that works. No, I don't. So now I want to do a, a little bit of a deeper dive into these postpartum psychosis claims. After she was incarcerated, Paula began consulting with prison medical officials about postpartum psychosis. Many people note that she had never complained of any postpartum emotional issues until she was convicted. A psychologist testified at Sims's post-conviction hearing that she fit the mold of a postpartum baby killer, down to delusions that a stranger had committed the crimes. She was given two psychological tests in 1992, asking her to answer as though it were still 1989. She perceived, perceived herself as hearing voices, people getting into her head, the psychologist told the court. The judge asked her if lying is common with women suffering from postpartum issues. Who <laughs> would not have it. To which she replied, very often, because they have disordered thinking, they make up stories about other people coming in and taking the children and harming the children. Edward Lowe, a psychologist at the Dwight Correctional Center, where Sims was held, said she told him that she heard voices and claimed to have tried to kill herself with pills and alcohol before her arrest in 1989. Lowe said that Paula told him she felt violence towards Randy, too, and that is when she explained the alleged incident with her son. At the trial, Paula testified for almost 90 minutes about the death of her daughters, saying, I didn't know what was wrong with me. It's not a natural thing for a mother to do that. That is absolutely true. It is a very yeah. heinous, horrible thing for a mother to do. Despite all of this, three courts found her arguments to be unpersuasive. Although postpartum psychosis was first identified in the mid-19th century, many people credit the Andrea Yates case as the first to bring it to the forefront of American media's attention. Yates was charged with murdering her five children and entered a plea of insanity that was rejected by the jury. However, her conviction was overturned when it was revealed that expert witnesses offered false testimony that tainted the jury. Hormonal changes that occur after childbirth often lead to women and mothers experiencing negative physical and emotional effects immediately after delivery. The, quote, baby blues affect 80% of women after childbirth, and about 20% of those women go on to be diagnosed or suffer without diagnosis with postpartum depression. Postpartum psychosis is rare, but it happens, and it affects anywhere between 1% and 3% of women with postpartum depression. So that is a very... Small, minute chance. Small, small, but I don't want to say, that it, say yeah. that it doesn't happen because it does. What I want to ask is, was she going about daily life? That's what I'm wondering. Like, she... I want to know if she was irrational to anyone else or if she was still, like, you know, cooking dinner and, like, going to the grocery store and talking to her family. Or I couldn't find or anything. anything, like, about that. I don't know. I, I don't remember. Um, I remember when the case happened already just when she got convicted calling her a baby killer and then I remember years later when they started talking about the postpartum psychosis because I think that was the first time I've ever heard those terms 
And not very many people believed that. And I think the people that knew her said that they didn't ever feel like there's anything wrong with her. She never acted sad or overwhelmed or anything. And also, like, postpartum psychosis doesn't, like, cause you to be knocked out on your floor for 45 minutes and, unless like, claiming she, that someone struck you with a gun. Unless you're having, like, extreme delusions. Unless she was having, that's what I was going to say, unless she was so delusional that she convinced herself. But in that case, that that Robert is horrible. If he's witnessing his wife go through all of this and is still comfortable leaving her at home with his kids. Well, he's horrible because he knew she did the first yeah. time and let her have two more children. Exactly. And if it was truly postpartum psychosis, having subsequent pregnancies, the effects are just worse and worse. Yeah, especially if it's not getting like treated or like yeah. because, acknowledged at all. Because that hormone ebb and flow then is just going to add and cause more psychosis. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I have read up on some stuff. And I almost wonder, like, I do wonder if these numbers are a little low. Um, because a lot of women that suffer with these things don't go to the doctor. Yeah, they don't. Because... Or even, like, realize that it's really happening to them. Like, a lot of people don't get diagnosed with this. Or they're so things. embarrassed and think they're right. a bad mom and that and there's something ashamed. wrong with them. And they should love their baby and feel a lot different than what they actually feel. So, it I think is probably an underdiagnosed yeah, condition for sure. Probably like a way higher number too, because I'm sure a lot of women like attribute it to those feelings to like mental illnesses that maybe they had before, or just being tired, right? Or just being tired, or like, oh, I've always been like you know kind of depressed, and I've always had like anxiety or mm-hmm. have like mood disorders, and they don't attribute it to like this, which is a legitimate thing, a very scary. So I'm sure thing. these numbers are low. I'm like, sure they are too. Smaller than they should be, because this is like fairly recent. Like, I know that this says that, like, it was first identified in the mid-19th century, but by identified, it was not... Wasn't treated. Or studied or, like, taken seriously, really. And I understand why people wanted to call her a baby killer because, I mean, that's what she did. Right. But if this is indeed the case where she is having these, like, delusions, and then I, I do feel horrible for her. Oh, absolutely. If that is the case. Right. If not, I feel nothing for but her. The but the fact that... Sheer hatred. Their one son is still alive kind of makes me lean the other way. Exactly. Um, Because most of these... Like, Andrea Yates was the lady who drowned all her kids in the bathtub. Yeah. She didn't spare anybody. And her oldest, I think, was like 12 or something. And she was legitimately going through straight up, like, she thought the world was ending. I'm saving my kids from the rapture type type stuff. So... I would also wonder what her... OBGYN had to say. What did Paula Sims' doctor say when she came in for yeah, like, checkups? There's she... such little information about that. I couldn't find anything that... I don't even know if she probably didn't even go to checkups. Well, the baby... the sec, Heather was six weeks old. Yeah. So it would have been That's right about the baby. time for you to go back for your checkup. Because um, you usually go six weeks postpartum. Yeah. So either she went back and was able to fake it. Or there was nothing wrong with her. Or she wasn't showing any outward signs. But she would have probably gone through all of the steps mm-hmm. with Randy. Yeah. So I My thing know. is, like, after you have Randy, because you have Randy in between Lorelai and Heather, and if all you wanted was a son... Stop. Stop having kids. If, like, you cannot physically bear having a daughter, which is, like, the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life, yeah. then don't do it. Or when you find out you're having a girl, you know, maybe, like, give her up. <laughs> right. Find a nice family that will take her, because what the hell... It's really sad and sickening. It's horrible. So, 
like I said, um, postpartum psychosis is rare, but it happens and it affects anywhere between one and 3% of women with postpartum depression. This results in what they refer to as a quote, break from reality and leads to delusions. Postpartum psychosis has a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate, which is That's terrible, horrific. Yeah. Um, which, if you don't know, infanticide is the killing of one's own child. Mm -hmm. Some experts believe that some sudden infant death syndrome deaths are actually homicides as a result of postpartum psychosis, which could make those numbers even higher. Which would, I mean, I could see why they would say that because it's very similar. And hard to prove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, with SIDS, babies just stop breathing in their yeah. sleep, which right. is terrifying. And horrible. So, before we go into, like, the recent news, I want to just kind of discuss what we've listened to here. Because, like I said, I was telling her the other day that I, my opinion has changed greatly um, on this case as I have researched it. Yeah, because we were actually talking about it uh, about, what, a week ago, maybe? Yeah, at a bar. And my thought was... I felt like she had really been undiagnosed with postpartum psychosis and I was kind of pitying her because I think it is definitely something that's not treated enough or quickly enough in women. But I did not know about the other child and all the other details, which makes me think that that's probably not what happened. And the fact that they happened so many years apart. I mean, right. what was it, like four years and she was, I guess, perfectly normal in between the time period. I mean, she, she had to be, but from what I've gathered, I don't think she worked. I was going to say, did she go outside? Um, I don't think she, like, left the house. The neighbors didn't see her. She never left the house. So it's very possible that she, I mean, if you're not leaving the house, you're probably not talking to your family. You're probably not doing a lot of things. And I almost wonder if there was, I don't want to speculate here, but if their marriage was kind of... Iffy. Yeah. Um, because why is she not doing anything with her life? But I don't know if she's not leaving her house and she's having like no human interaction outside of her husband who we can't who fucking said, listen to anything he says because he's a liar. Yeah. Um, then who's, who are we going to listen to? She could have very easily been going through all of that inside her house and no one would have known. Well, yeah. Cause didn't the police describe the first time at him as being angry and mm -hmm. the first time he was monotone. Well, that, yeah, but they, you said something. I'll have to go back and look for it. But well, yeah, when he was like, "Yeah, they killed my baby," or "They took my baby." Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I mean, I definitely am not leaning towards thinking that she's a victim no. of a broken system anymore. Like I thought. Previously. But they did say that, like the with Lorelai, she was like absolutely hysterical, like inconsolable for like a week. Which. But with Heather, nothing. Yeah, and, like, nothing. Like, despondent, which almost makes me think of, like, maybe, like, detachment from, like, reality. Possibly. Like, she wasn't even, like, answering questions. Um, and the fact that the stories are so similar, it's very possible that her brain, like, manifested the stories that are, like, almost the exact same. It is literally the same story. Like, the same story outside Except of, like, for the, the first guy didn't have a gun. Yeah, he did. She, mm -hmm. she said he was armed in the first okay. part, too. Yeah. Or the first guy didn't knock her over the head. No, he didn't hit her. But Which that is like crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And was she actually unconscious? Or is we that just That's just story? from him. Like we can't, that's the thing is like we literally cannot tell the fact that she had, I mean if you're unconscious for 45 minutes, that's a long fucking time. You would think you'd almost have like some like brain damage. problems. Yeah, yeah, like 
I mean, unconscious doesn't necessarily mean you're not breathing, but... No, for 45 minutes, she'd be... For 45 minutes, and you have, like, I mean, you're being... She claims she was hit in the back of the head with a pistol, and that's going to leave a mark. Oh, yeah, you would have a giant... (laughs) If it's hard enough to knock you out, and you're going to... When you go to the hospital, and you're going to be out of it. Well, not to mention the fact that if you're standing up, somebody hits you with a pistol, when you fall down, you're also going to have a bump from... Falling, yeah, like maybe smacked your face. I mean, it was on the kitchen floor, so I'm assuming it was hard floor. You're going to yeah. hit your head on something. So the story, it's... I'm calling horse shit. Yeah. And I wish there was more to this that I could read, but there really isn't much. But something that does kind of... I mean, she had three psychologists that said that she was definitely showing symptoms of psychosis. I mean, I'm gonna have that's to... three. I mean, that's like they're did... impartial people. They're jailhouse psychologists. Like they're not. Did they ever have anybody from the prosecuting side investigate or do an examination and come up with anything contrary to that? I don't think so because the first lady that did it was. Let's see. I think she was in the prison, right? I mean, I didn't hear... She was a psychologist um, that testified at her hearing. And then the second person that did it was a psychologist at the correctional center that she was at. So, like, someone who has probably seen, like, some crazy shit. Um, And that's when she claimed that she had tried to kill herself before she was arrested. Because the first person... I mean, it's very easy for lawyers to find clinicians and psychiatrists and things that tend to believe the same thing as they do. And... She could have been looked at by five others who said there was nothing wrong with her. They just chose not to bring them to court. Yeah, but this is post-conviction. So this is like a post-conviction hearing, not a trial. Right. You know, they didn't bring up any, like, they had no reason to bring up any psychologists in the original trial because she hadn't said anything like that. It wasn't yeah, until, but- like, two years after she was in jail that she started, like, saying the... And I postpartum wonder psychosis if that's thing. because she was getting the mental help that she needed all those years and she finally had a word to put with what her condition was. I mean, maybe maybe she didn't know what it was. She just knew that she felt different and weird and things weren't right, mm-hmm. but she had no idea what it was. Yeah. I don't want to, like, judge her or, like, jump to conclusions, but I don't think she was highly educated. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think she was. Just based on, like, some of the things that she said. Um... So she probably didn't even know what was going on at all. And I'm assuming she wasn't going to her checkups with Heather, so they wouldn't have caught anything even if there was something. Yeah, probably not. Well, after... And the first baby was so young that she wouldn't even have gone back. Yeah, she wouldn't even been back to the doctor yet. Does it happen that fast? Yeah. Can it happen, like, immediately after delivery? Because that's something that I read, but that's just, like, crazy to me that you're... Chances are... I still think you would have, like, an active amount of hormones in your body... Right after. Yeah, but it's, it could be from an excessive amount of hormones, too, that were acquired during the pregnancy. True. I mean, she could have yeah. been going towards that before she had the baby. And then, I mean, some people's hormone levels drop super-duper fast mm-hmm. also. Yeah. It's just some more shit women have to endure. Hormones. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read the yellow wallpaper? Yes. That's, yeah, that's immediately what I think of when I think of stuff like that. If you haven't read it, it's this older story about this lady who... Like locked, locked in her room. room, and she was like focuses on the yellow wallpaper. She was like locked in there because she had like severe mental illness. And back in the day, women who 
had mental illness were just hysterical. That's what they were called. They right. didn't have a legitimate issue. So they were always locked away. They were never helped. That's a very good story if you want to read it. It's a very good story. And it's definitely about postpartum depression. Yeah. But the reason that um, this is recent now, um, Paula Sims was actually just granted parole after serving more than 30 years behind bars. And J.B. Pritzker, our governor, did that. The Illinois Prisoner Review Board voted 12 to 1, which is overwhelming. Yeah, that's a high amount. On granting her release, and she was released from Logan Correctional Facility around 3.30 p.m. on Friday, October 29th. Sims, now 62 years old, gave more than three hours of testimony at a parole hearing this past March, during which her attorney argued that she committed the offenses while in the throes of postpartum psychosis and that she no longer poses a threat to the community. This was a great victory for women, a great relief for me, and a great gift to Paula, her attorney, Jed Stone, told the Bellevue News Democrat. It is a recognition that postpartum psychosis is real, and the women who suffer from that mental illness need to be treated and understood and not brushed aside with having the, quote, baby blues. I mean, I, I am glad that there's more awareness and that people are willing to look into that because it hopefully will prevent more babies like Lorelai and Heather from mm -hmm. being taken and that women can get the help that they need. Having been through two pregnancies, I can tell you that it is very hard. At the end, when you come home and you have a baby that needs 24-hour care, and it's, I mean, it's exhausting. You, know, you want to do sleep and you can't. It's like right. the one thing you can't do. I mean, when I had the twins, they ate every three hours, but it took an hour to feed one of them, and then the other one was up, so it was just round the clock nonstop and mm -hmm. thankfully I had a good support system of people who could help not everybody has that and I could see very easily not that I'm making excuses for her because I don't know what my opinion is yet based on things I have to digest it a little bit but I could very easily see how I would have become overwhelmed within maybe another week or two had I not had somebody who could step in and help it was challenging and exhausting and Especially having a 14-month-old and then having a six-week-old. I mean, those yeah. are two little kids. That's very close in age. Yeah. And her husband worked shift work, so... He was working there, I'm long sure, nights, long days. And I'm sure her sleep routine was very erratic, and she probably didn't have a whole lot of help. I mean, shift work is hard on your body anyway. So I'm sure when he was gone, when he came home, he probably wasn't helping a whole lot. I mean, not to disparage the guy, but he also was probably tired. Also, the fact slept and, in different bedrooms. Yeah. What is that about? Probably because the older baby was sleeping through the night and the newborn would not be. And to keep from disrupting his sleep, they probably split up and they could sleep together. And then she could, I don't know if she's breastfeeding, maybe. I immediately thought that he just didn't want to be in the room with her. Maybe. Maybe he just didn't want to be in the room with Because if this is true, what girl. she's saying, that the whole reason. But from his perspective, that... I don't... He's, I don't know. That doesn't really like seem like the case to me because he... It seems like her perception. He seemed sad. Right. It's almost like something that she perceived on her own. And like even the lady that shared the room with her when she gave birth to Lorelai, mm -hmm. when she heard like the phone call between them. Also, he wasn't at the birth of his ba first baby. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Um, but I'm not going to judge. Maybe he was working. You know, it happens. Um, but the the lady that heard that phone call and she's like apologizing and like saying, I'm so sorry. I'm disappointing you. Like I know you didn't want a girl and he remembers that conversation and she doesn't. Yeah. That's weird too. 
I almost want to know, like, what his response to that was. Like, it's okay. I Right. I like, what are you talking about, almost? Because mm-hmm. if they hadn't had that conversation before where he was like, I don't want a girl, then he'd probably be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's, it's our baby. I don't care. You would hope so. You would hope that that would be the reaction. <laughs> and the fact that he was upset, I mean, wasn't really showing any emotion the first time, but I think that was probably him just being in shock, like, oh, my God, I can't believe she did this. But the second time, having been upset, makes you think that he loved the baby. I mean, yeah, and you're called. I mean, imagine you're at work and your wife calls you and is telling you, yeah, someone just took our firstborn, right, 13-day-old baby. He probably showed up and was like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, like, what? <laughs> Crazy. I don't know what I believe. Uh, like I said, Randy Sims still lives in Illinois. I don't know what part. I'm assuming he probably moved out of this area, if I had to guess. Yeah. I mean, the Sims name is kind of like a... Stigma. Uh, yeah. Like a household name here in this area. So he probably got the hell out. But he has stood by his dad the entire time. I mean, he was raised by his dad too, though. Exactly. So it's one of those things where standing by him... I mean, obviously the dad was talking about it very early to him when he and was young. And they got divorced, so he wondered like, what happened I mean, there. There could be a significant amount of brainwashing and swaying going on. Right. And I'm sure the way he perceives his mom is probably horrible. I mean, he has never really known his mom. Oh, well, yeah. And the only thing he knows about his mom is that she killed his sisters. I don't think the judge ordering that he had to bring the child there once a month was healthy for the kid. And I think that was a really crappy... I think that was her demand. And that was in the divorce agreement. I don't don't think that should have been been allowed. I think it was one of those things probably where she was like, I'm not signing these until you do this. Maybe. I don't know. That's a depressing story. Yeah. I'm assuming she's probably not going to stay in this area. Well, I mean, I would imagine that it's going to be very hard for her to get back on her feet. She didn't have a job beforehand, unless she was doing something in prison to help her gain some work skills or some actual, like, survival skills. 30 years in jail and you're out at 62, 63. I mean, what are you going to do? She does have a friend that I watched, like, the video when they announced her being granted parole. She has a friend that I guess she made in jail. Um, I don't think the lady was in jail. I think they were kind of like being like pen pals and they became like really good friends that lives in this area who was like super excited and happy for her that she got out. So at least she has like somewhat of a support system. I'm just wondering where she's going to stay. I'm like a halfway house. It's not like you can be like out in public either because people hate this woman. And she is very easy to pick out a lineup. She's got a very recognizable face. She yeah. looks pretty. She looks like life has beat her down. Oh my god, yeah, very much. Well, I so. mean, she went to jail when she was thirty. It's thirty years in jail. Mm-hmm. Like that's most of your life. So yeah. it's transforming your life. That in itself is sad. I feel bad. I don't know if I feel bad. I don't know what I think. Oh my god. I do agree that I don't think she poses a threat to the community. No. If anything, what she posed a threat to at the beginning was herself and her kids and she's not of an age where she can have more children and she hasn't like ever threatened anyone else or like gotten in fights in prison or killed anybody or anything in there obviously if she didn't have like upstanding behavior in prison this wouldn't have even been thought of so i mean what does society benefit from her spending the what little time she has left in jail what 20 years max probably not even i mean maybe i don't know it's like windy as heck out there (laughs) 
Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> She's close. Like five minutes away. <laughs> We're doxing ourselves. Don't come to our house. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, what a good one to end the season right, on. Right, uplifting. I just thought it would be cool to bring it back home. Yeah. There's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of tragic stories from around this area. Yeah, I was talking last night to it, with one of my regulars at the bar that I work at how, like, every story I read feels like somehow ends up back here. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to even end up here, but at some point it was here. It was either in St. Louis or Southern Illinois specifically or Chicago. Yeah. Like, it's always one of those three places where somehow... Maybe that's because we know about those. So we look them up. Well, even like Samuel of... Little, like we did that oh, yeah? one. Like, that's true. It's like these massive serial killers and like massive cases who somehow have a connection to this area. I don't know. We breed psychos. It's because a lot of the surrounding area is very poor. Um, Wasn't like John Wilkes Booth from here? I don't know. Was he? Let's, I'm going to Google it. A very popular, I don't even want to use the word popular, a very well-known assassin is from this area. It's either Lee Harvey Oswald or John Wilkes Booth. It's one of the two. It's not John Wilkes Booth. I think it's Lee Harvey Oswald. I think that's the person who killed John Lennon, right? No, I... Which one is it? Oh, you're shaking your head. We have a person in the peanut gallery. I believe James Earl Ray. James Earl Ray. Yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald is from New Orleans, our second home. James Earl Ray is from here. I knew it was one of them. Someone with... Three names. Yep, James Earl Ray. All yeah, he Illinois. assassinated MLK. So, I mean, it somehow always comes back to this area. Which is creepy. Very creepy. I mean, you gotta think the Midwest is Mecca for a lot of things in America, yeah. so. Well, and it's got a high population also. I mean, the... Our town is really tiny, though. Our town is, but if you look at... I mean, Alton's not really tiny. It's pretty big. And we have big-ish. I mean, access to a, a, a large river. city and a river, and yeah, lots of things. Rivers always take the worst of the worst up, <laughs> up the creek. Don't be making fun of river people. Just gotta follow the river. That's not. I'm not making fun of river people, but a lot of people follow the river. That is very true. All right. Well, thank you for listening this season. We're really happy uh, for. Our numbers are pretty good. It seems like people are sticking around. Very excited for next season, which we will be back around early 2022. We're going to take some time off for holidays. It's a lot of work coming up with the episodes. Uh, good thing Em and I both like English and like writing because it's like writing a term paper every week. When... Yeah. In my words per minute, I can type a lot. <laughs> yeah. So and we literally do extensive research on every episode. So it's, I mean, it's a three or four day process from start to finish to get all the info and get it tweaked and everything. So and then to write it down in a way that's consecutive and makes sense. Right. Not quite. We don't want to read you research papers every week. You'd be bored silly. Right. Or a Wikipedia page. You don't want that. You right. can just read the Wikipedia page. Exactly. But I've had a lot of fun. Me too. Glad we did it. Me too. It was fun. It was fun. I think next season we're going to, we're looking for some like themes that we can yeah. follow. I think I'm going to go haunted hotels. No, I think I'm going to focus more on missing people. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about the haunted hotel thing because that means I might get to go visit some. Yeah. Tax write-offs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although the last time I went to a haunted hotel, I got pink eye, or no, I, I guess a some. ghost farted on her pillow. Some really horrible eye infection that I'm still dealing with, and it's been almost two months, so. 
I will go stay in all kinds of haunted hotels, but I'm bringing my own pillowcases. Because I ain't doing this again. Well, also, like, you said that the sheets in the pillowcases and the last one you stayed at weren't really up to standard, so. It was. Could have been it just kind of musty. It was definitely old and could have used a little um, modernization. Mm. I mean, that's what makes it cool, though. I was going to say, it was a really cool place. We're actually going to go back there. Maybe we can get to the Overlook. Ooh. The Stanley. The Stanley. I... I looked up. We've tried for years and just never falls in line. It's really not that bad. It's not that expensive. The only thing that's like the hard part is getting there because it's so fucking far away. It is far. But you can stay there for a couple hundred dollars, which is not horrible. Yeah. I would have expected it to be a lot more. And it's one of the cool hotels that lets you actually pick which room you stay in. Mm-hmm. So you can stay in the super haunted room. Just I'm excited. Queen Mary. Ooh, that would be fun. It is that... I think that's in Los Angeles, though. It is in California. It was actually on my list. Um, they turned it into a hotel, and it's super crazy haunted. Yeah, a lot of uh, like YouTube investigators have stayed there. It's also one of the places where you can like pick the room that you stay in. I also feel like um, sneeze. Ghost Adventures did one there also. <laughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Sorry. We decorated for Christmas Day. There's dust floating everywhere. There is a lot of dust. I'm trying to find info. Alright, well, I don't think we have much more, so you want to sign us off? Yeah. Um, follow us on our socials. <laughs> I, don't <have> the, <laughs> I don't have the prompt in front of me. I'm uh, trying to find it, but I can't find my drive. We got Twitter. I mean, it's just Monsters and Mixers. You look at Monsters and Mixers podcast anywhere you're going to find us. I was going to say anymore, just a simple Google search will get you to most of our stuff because we are um, starting to populate, which yeah. is really cool. Uh, like and rate us on your preferred podcast listening platform. That still helps us out a lot. It pushes us into that algorithm a little bit more. Yeah. Please go on, and especially on Apple. Um, it is kind of the end-all, be-all to most things, especially podcasting and indie artists. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts and could give us a, a, a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. We would really appreciate it. Yep. But until next time, get out there and <laughs> meet some ghosts and make some toast. See you in Happy 20- Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. See you in 2022.